Support for the Trailblazers.fm podcast comes from the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network that reminds us that there's no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders we've been waiting for, the curators of the change we're seeking to see. To learn more about the groundbreaking work of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, visit tbpod.com slash achievement. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. What's good, Blaze Nation? I am so excited to share with you that this summer, we are doing our very first summer series on entrepreneurship. On the Trailblazers podcast, and I can't wait for you guys to dive into some of this content. So I'm going to ask you for a favor. We're going to probably do a seven or eight episode series. And I already have a couple really exciting people lined up for the series. But I'm going to ask you if you know our Blazer Nation knows of any really accomplished Black business owners or entrepreneurs that you absolutely know should be a part of this series. I'm going to ask you to share with them and invite them to hop on over to tvpod.com slash guest application to share their story with us. Again, we're only going to take about seven or eight people. So, you know, it won't be a great many episodes on the series, but the episodes we do have for the seven or eight people that come on, we hope for it to be truly impactful, right? And packed with insight and wisdom and mission fuel, right? So here's my second ask. <laughs> We're really looking for those seasoned entrepreneurs, right? Business owners. So if you've just started up, if you haven't been in business for very long, if you're not yet turning revenue or profit, do me a favor don't apply to this particular series, right? Hold up, let's probably submit for a little bit later on down the road. One of my mantras, one of my mantras that, you know, I hold near and dear to me is that all boats rise with the tide, right? So we want to be able to have those people who they've been in the valley and they've been to the mountain peak, right? We want them to come on and share their wisdom with us and help us all for our boats to then rise with their tide. Right. So again, if you know someone who should be featured in this series, tell them to hop on over to tvpod.com slash guest application today to share their story with us. If you're a business owner or entrepreneur and you're struggling right now, right? Let's keep this between me and you, but I want to know what you want me to talk about in this series. I want to know the questions you want to hear asked. And hopefully the answers to those questions are going to help you to pivot, help you to gain the wisdom and the insight you need and the practical, actionable advice that you need for you to grow your business and for you to get things going in the right direction. So I'm so excited for today. Today, our featured guest is none other than Marcus Bullock. Marcus is a DMV product, right? He's right here in the DC metro area. Marcus is a trailblazer, an entrepreneur, a justice reform advocate, a public speaker. Again, he's the founder and CEO of his own company called FlickShop. It's a mobile app, a free mobile app that enables incarcerated people to receive postcards in the mail from friends and family and support organizations. And FlickShop now ships postcards to over 2,200 correctional facilities around the country, connecting thousands of families to their incarcerated loved ones. 
I truly enjoyed listening to this story. It's proof that it's proof of what's possible if we dedicate ourselves to taking action. So without further delay, let's get ready to receive some mission feel from our featured guest, Marcus Bullock. Enjoy. Marcus, welcome and thanks for joining us on Trailblazers tonight, my brother. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, I'm really excited about this one. Yes, yes. We were introduced by Tony Parchment of Upstart Connectors, I believe, last summer. And I've been watching your growth ever since and really excited about us being able to chat. The way we open our episodes, Marcus, is from a place of gratitude, right? So I love to ask this question to get things going. What's an unexpected blessing that you're most grateful for in your life right now? My children. Yes. When my wife and I set out to build our family, I couldn't have prayed for the kind of opportunity that I have now to be blessed to be able to be a father to two little, small, incredibly brilliant human beings that allow me to be able to guide their steps. And it's the most incredible opportunity that I've ever been blessed to have. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be able to express that gratitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you grew up in a DMV and it looks like you spent time between PG County and, and parts of DC, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Northeast DC and you know our family continued to move around, you know, sporadically around from Northeast DC to Forestville, Maryland, to Walker Mill, Maryland, until I eventually ended up in handcuffs at Fairfax County Jail that would forever change my life. Wow. And, you know, a recent guest of ours, Cheryl Wood, who we had on early in the month of March, actually said that our story is about us, but it's not for us. I, <laughs> I love that. I'd love for you, Marcus, to take us back. I know the story, but I'd love for you to maybe share this with Blazer Nation, right? Take us back with you and share with our community the story of what happened to cause this permanent shift. Because the first part of this is that permanent shift in the mind of an innocent 13-year-old Marcus. Bring me back there. Yeah, you know, so, you know, while the majority of the times um, most of us open the story of Marcus Bullock and the story of Flick Shop up with the day that I landed in handcuffs. But you know what? I honestly would probably beg to differ and say that the story probably should start at the very first Prince George's County oratorical contest. And the reason mm. why I tell the reason why I believe that the story should start there is because that was the very first time that I had an opportunity to express an opinion and I could be able to use the skills of an orator to be able to control the conversation in front of me, even though I was the only one speaking. When mm -hmm. you have that opportunity to gain control as a child, it's the first time that you're able to say, wait a minute, I can do, right? And it's like the first time that you fill in that blank. But that was the blank for me, the I can do moment. And it was like, I can do this. And so that oratorical contest, which was a countywide speech readiness and preparation workshop that led to a bunch of children in different grade levels to preside amongst the members of clergy for the county, given the topic and saying, how are you going to be able to express yourself given this topic? What that did for me, Stephen, it allowed me to be able to say, I have a future, I'm going to succeed. And then that's when I took control of my own life. And in that moment, I ceased to become that small child that listened to my mom with every, you know, hanging on to every word, waiting for her direction to saying, wait a minute, I actually have an opinion. How old were you back then? So the first oratorical contest, I was in fourth grade. So what was that? Maybe like 11, I guess, somewhere around there. 
Yeah. 11, somewhere around there. And what happened, you know, over the years of having those opportunities, what it did do, one, you know, it honed the skill for public speaking, but it also created something inside of me where I wanted to do, I wanted to be the best, I wanted to do better, and I wanted to be able to control my destiny. Whoever thought that that controlling of the destiny will lead me into candy sales at school, which will lead me into drug sales in my neighborhood, which would eventually lead me to car thefts would eventually lead me to the night that Dwayne and I ended up carjacking mm, the man. Wow. That was an interesting time during our lives. It was an interesting chapter. You know, it's a week after my 15th birthday. You know, it was December the 8th. I'll never forget that. Never forget that day. And we're stuck at a mall. We ended up pulling a gun out on a man, asking him to get out of his car. We jump in his car. We drive home. Now, get this. This is the, the shows the ignorance of a small child of a 15-year-old, right? The 15-year-old immature brain here. But we make it all the way home. And while we're home, we're like, you know what? The next morning, let's go back to the same area where we committed a crime and go drive the same car that we just stole and go shopping with the same credit cards of the man whom we just robbed the night before. And <laughs> wow, it was probably the stupidest decision that we ever made. And while well, no one got hurt and, you know, lives will forever change. Not only was this man, you know, the survivor of this crime, was he probably mentally damaged, right? You know, while he wasn't physically hurt, I'm sure there's some mental damage that comes around every year, something that one of the things I'm not proud of. But also it was the hurt of me and everyone else that was connected to me, right? Like I was not the only one in that jail cell the night of, you know, my first night of incarceration. It was my mom. It was my sister. It was my, you know, my newborn, my freshly newborn niece that I loved, you know, crazily. Like these were all the people who did time with me. And I'll tell you, it was one of the hardest things I had ever been through ever. Wow. So you end up spending eight critical years of your life in several maximum security prisons, right? Oh man, like 16th birthday, 17th birthday, 18th birthday, 19th birthday, 20th birthday, 21st birthday, 22nd birthday, and 23rd, all inside of maximum security adult facilities. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, it's lost on many of us what that means, but I mean, that's a big chunk of time, a critical framing point, right? For a young black man. I imagine that you probably went through Wow, a range of experiences and emotions to process and accept that as the reality at that age, right? <laughs> you can only imagine, right? I was a kid. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Was your emotional strength or your physical strength more important to kind of weather that season and that transition in an environment like that? I mean, it was probably a combination of both. I mean, I would love to be able to tell the Hallmark story that ends up with a pretty ending, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was in prison and let's not make no stick about it. It's not a place for human beings to be captured. And, you know, you're thrown into this space where not only, you know, are you confined to a little small room with another grown person, you know, to be able to share everything from, you know, secrets to stenches, right? Like, I mean, when he goes to the bathroom, I have to sit there. There's no privacy. Okay, I'll give you some space to be so you can use the bathroom. No, I got to sit there and watch him use the bathroom at the best, turn my back and act like I don't smell what's happening, right? And then, you know, when you're growing up like this and then, you know, you, you're calling home, making those exorbitant collect calls back to the house and you're hearing about, you know, some of your best friends experiencing spring break and senior prom and senior trip and homecomings. Oh man, recipe for severe, not only depression, but yeah, acts of violence too. There was a lot of acting out, you know, 
there were a lot of opportunities for me to, you know, to really just lunge out at people just because I was angry and confused and I didn't understand why I couldn't be home with my family as a 16 year old for Christmas. Right. Like you talk about Thanksgiving dinners where 40 people would con- congregate over my grandmother's house and argue about who gets the last piece of stuffing. And the last thing that I can hear from that conversation is from a, again, a 15 minute collect call, listening to all of the happy and joyful voices on the other end with me hanging up, knowing that I'm getting ready to walk back to that six by nine sale, you know, just to go lay back down in the bunk and look at this man that I've been looking at for the last, you know, however many months of my life, day in, day out. Very, very challenging. Psychological warfare at its best. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself, right? And so up to that point, you kind of signaled some of this earlier, but was there anything entrepreneurial in you? Is there an entrepreneurial gene in you to this point? Yeah, man. I mean, hey, I was that kid that came to school every morning with a pocket full of blow pops, right? And I'm selling mm-hmm. every one of them for a quarter. I got a pocket full of Nihilators and Bazooka Joe bubblegum and all of the other kinds of candies that led me up to a book bag full of money coming home. That you know, And, and mostly because we just grew up in one of the, you know, not we weren't poor, but we couldn't have the luxuries that everyone enjoyed around me, right? Whether it be from, you know, the kid who had the coolest sneakers on, to, you know, the girl who had the fancy leather jacket on, like, right, we didn't have those luxuries. And walking around seeing that as a kid and knowing how much value, you know, children place on that kind of, those kinds of things. And then, the, you know, the bullies and the teasing and all of that kind of stuff, I didn't want to go through it any longer. And I knew that my candy sales weren't going to do it for me. And I saw a profit margin out of my friends that I'd never seen before because they were selling crack cocaine. And that was the moment that changed my life. Even at that, that was another staging moment where it was like, wow, this is introducing me to really a blurred line of not legal morale, but more of this is an out. This is a means to an end that my mom doesn't even understand. Like my mom's a pastor and she goes to work. I mean, she's a, at the time she wasn't a pastor. At the time she was a preacher. She's a minister. And she's going to work for the federal government, not making a bunch of money, but her son is coming home and able to provide for him himself. And that's what I wanted. I wanted nothing more to be able to contribute. It was a blur line for me, but I didn't realize it was going to end me up in a prison cell. You know, it was it was a trap and I was walking down it very fast. So, you know, I'm coming back to that time, right? Because this is what, 96? 1996, yeah. We're talking about the first phase of really the internet, right? That we know of. Um, Yeah, man. (laughs) I'm thinking of, did you have any access to computers at the time? in prison no i mean well this is 1996 first i you know so <laughs> I'm, I'm taking everyone back including myself right yeah yeah. you're coming out to a time you went in to a time where the internet is just becoming mm-hmm. what it's becoming right mm-hmm. and you're coming out at a time where this is what pre-facebook so 2004 it's just, we're in the mice the internet world just there yeah <laughs> yeah it's just it's just there that's, that's, it's, a, it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> exactly and how was it acclimating to technology, right? Uh, it was uh, very challenging. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, when I, when I left, I mean, you had the AOL discs that were being shipped in the back of popular science magazines that gave you that dial-up, right? Yeah. In my family, we couldn't afford a computer. And, no, and, you know, very few people at that time had computers in their home. You know, you were affluent if you could afford a home computer at that time. People didn't even understand what the internet could do, the capabilities. Why would you need that? What is this thing that everyone's talking about that's going to be the wave that's called mail, Right. And then, you know, eventually now email and then, you know, AOL, you know, pointing that term, you've got mail. And like, this is all of that stuff that was really, really new during that time. 
and I wasn't privy to it. When you go into prison, there is no connectivity. There's no internet. There's no, you know, at that time was like, I think like Black Planet was the hot one. Maybe MySpace was starting to come out in the latter years when I first came home. But like there was none of these technologies were available. So I'm coming home and I have no idea how to work this stuff. Like, I'm like, what in the world is this? In fact, I'm sitting in front of a computer. I'll never forget, you know, the first couple of days I'm home and I'm talking to my mom and I'm Googling stuff. And I'm like, mom, mom, come here, come here, come here. Look at this. Right. And then I'll Google the word toilet. And then like a bunch of stuff about toilets will pop. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And she's like, really good. Like, you just Google something. OK, I get it. And I'm like, no, watch this. It, it does it again. You can do anything. Like, and I type in the word tiger. And it was like crazy information it was overload. But that was in the confines of my home. The interesting thing is that now you're introducing technology in every other aspect of my life, which now became less powering. It was cool when I was at home Googling toilet. But it's not as cool when you have to learn how to fill out a job application on a screen that you don't know how to control. And that is the moment when you feel like, oh, my gosh, not only am I a felon, not only am I never going to succeed, but I have no skills that allow me to be able to come home and perform at levels of all of my counterparts. Very scary time. You're touching on this, and I remember in your TED Talk, you mentioning the impact of being a convicted felon for life. What does that really mean after you've served your sentence, right? What's the real impact of that? I mean, what are you talking about, Steve? Listen, I am one of, you know, I'm a CEO of Flickshop, you know, one of the fastest growing mobile apps in the app store. And even today, I mean, I've been home now for, I came home in 2004, so I've been home now for 14 years and Steve, I still can't put my name on a lease to rent an apartment. There's so many things that I can't do. Even, I mean, after all the accolades, after all, you know, the TED Talk and Forbes and Washington Post and CNN and Aspen Institutes and South by Southwest, even still, when I put my name on that application, no matter what, no matter what the income level is, no matter what the bank account says, no matter what the technology that we build, I still have to walk around with the F on my chest and I still have to fight that daily battle. And this is the reason why I use this as a part of my advocacy work today. Wow, Marcus. Yeah, it's tough, wow. man. It's tough. So I'm using this, I'm framing this because I know the the reach of this platform and I know you, you just shared some of these platforms. I mean, you're out there sharing your story and your testimony and I, I thank you for doing that. What's Thank one you, of advice that you'd want to impart, right, to the young black men and boys, especially, who are faced with a similar set of challenges in their teenage years right now? So a couple of things. One, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Continue to keep running and learn. Number two, learn how to fail fast. Fail as fast as you can. Don't be afraid of the weight of the failures, right? And, and the reason why I say fail fast and don't be afraid of the failures is because the reality of it is that the majority of us that come out of these sales, and probably, I would honestly probably challenge some of your listeners to say that not even if you came out of a prison sale, but the majority of the reasons why we don't do the things that we know that we want to do, the things we're mostly passionate about, is because we can't see the end goal, and mostly because the end goal, we equate that level of success either with money or whether we equate that level of success to, you know, relationships or whatever the, whatever that barometer is, it's probably a false one. And if you can learn how to face your fears and learn how to fail fast and hey, listen, I'll tell you, I'll tell people quick in a hurry. The reality is that most people counted me out when I came home anyway. So I'm going to completely jump out the window without a parachute and I'll build it on my way. I'll build a parachute on my way down before I hit splat. Because the reality is if I hit splat, the expectation was for me to hit splat anyway. 
And that's for most of us, right? Like most of us are born inside of environments where success, the pending success is only if you're an anomaly, only if you're an outlier. So if you're willing to be able to do the things that you need to do and understand this marathon and like go super hard about it and fail fast with your ideas, like if you got an idea, like try it. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work. Cool. You learn something. Do something else. What are you trying next? That's the question I ask all of my students. So let's bring you over to FlickShop because I want to spend some time and just talk briefly about this. First off, what? well, it's obvious what sparked the idea for FlickShop for you, right? <laughs> and I understand why you cared about the solution for prisoners and their families and friends, right? You've been in their shoot, know the value that this brings to the world. Yeah. But did you ever question yourself about why you'd be the person, given what you just mentioned just a second ago, right? Mm-hmm. Why you'd be the person that was going to be able to bring this idea to life and be the CEO of this brand and this project where you're concerned about not being able to gain the traction needed with the challenges of being a convicted felon? No, absolutely not. So you just were determined and said, yo, you know what? Let me put the blinders on and push ahead and figure it away. I couldn't articulate it in a better way, right? I mean, we put the blinders on. You know, I'll tell you, I'll be very honest with you, very transparent and say, like, the one of the reasons why FlickShop, I believe, that became so successful outside of the, just the grace of God is mostly because I wasn't smart enough to understand that failure should have been imminent. Like, I should have failed. And I could, should continue to fail every day. In fact, I shouldn't be on here on this Trailblazer podcast right now but the reality of it is if I wake up every morning, I put one foot in front of the other, whether or not I send a thousand flick shops in an hour or I send zero flick shops in a month. Either way, I'm going to put one foot in the front of the other and I'm going to build a solution. Right. Failing is a part of it. Like that's the journey, right? Like not being able to be successful at hitting a brick wall is a part of it. Like you have to expect it. You almost got to, you should almost hope for it. Yeah. Because if without it, like you can't learn anything. I mean, I'll challenge you. You can probably think of all of the lessons that you learned in your life and you can attribute them to your failures. Very few of your lessons in your, that you learn can you attribute to your successes, right? Even those A-plus papers, those A-plus papers in school didn't do anything but just validate what you already knew. You didn't really learn much from that. What you learned from was that C paper because it caused you to go look down a line of that paper and find out where the X was versus the check. And now you're trying to figure out how can I convert that X to a check on the next one so I can convert that C to an A. That's life. That's learning. That's failing fast. That's winning. That's why I believe failure equals learning. You know, it's not the way we frame failure is terrible. And I encourage my kids, like right now I'm pushing hard to get my daughter to embrace that as a seven-year-old. Like, don't worry about winning, you know, fail and fail faster. I love what you're saying here. But let me bring you back here. What's, you know, so today Flickshop is doing amazing things, but I still come back to this point, right? <laughs> what was the first step? How do you get, you know, thousands of prisoners and their families to become aware of the platform and actually get on board with this vision? Well, I mean, the very first step was, you know, when I launched Flickshop, I had no idea how to build a mobile app. In fact, I didn't even have a cell phone that I could download a mobile app onto, right? I just knew that there was no way that I was going to leave Kyrie and Andy, which were my best friends that I grew up in those prison cells with that are serving, I mean, long, very long sentences. I couldn't leave them there to serve those sentences by themselves. I couldn't leave them there to be able to experience count time and dinner time and Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day and Father's Day to be lonely. I couldn't be on this side of the fence living this incredible life 
living my life on a cloud and not sharing every moment with them. And so we wanted to be able to build something. I Googled how to build a mobile app. And then, you know, we failed a bunch of times. I dumped a bunch of money that I didn't have. I maxed out a bunch of credit cards that took forever to get paid back. Like all of these things happen over and over again. Just and that's the putting the one foot in front of the other, right? It's like it's not like a some saying that we're making. No, literally every day, try as hard as you can to make your hypothesis work. If it doesn't, then that means that you know you're learning something and you're growing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I had no idea what I was doing then. And to be, if I was being very, very honest with you, and I'm gonna keep a secret that I'm just gonna let your listeners <laughs> get eavesdrop on, I still have no idea what I'm doing now. But I'll tell you what I am gonna do though. Every morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to fight as hard as I can for my family. I love that, man. I love that. And that's been the key to growing your business, I'm sure. Oh, man. Like, I'm loving it. I'm, I tell you, I'm, I'm living on the cloud right now. This is incredible. Incredible incredible life that I'm living. And in knowing that we're able to connect hundreds of thousands of families, you know, with a couple of pushes of a button on a cell phone is incredible. You mentioned this earlier. I'm going to ask you the same question you, or same point you brought up. What's the end goal? We want every person in every sale to receive mail every day. If we can figure out a way to make that happen, then we can think about what it's going to take to begin to decarcerate America. The problem that we're experiencing in the mass incarceration era of today is that so many people are coming home and they have no idea what to do. And as the technology evolution continues to evolve, then they're going to be even further, right? That person that came home with the plans to just cut grass in his neighborhood to make a few dollars to be able to feed his family. He's up against that teenager that's walking around with the iPad and pre-signing people up with a recurring payment every month that's only, you know, that's a few bucks cheaper. Like, how do you compete with that, right? And the thing of it is that this guy in that sale right now, he doesn't even know that there's someone walking around door to door with an iPad in his hand being able to do it. But with FlickShop, what happens is you're able to share every moment just as you would on Facebook or on Instagram or via text message. And you begin to see and learn that, wow, this is the world that I'm walking into, right? You don't have those moments like I had when you're coming home to a, a Google platform that you have no idea what you're doing. Now you're able to see screenshot of an Uber, right? And you understand what Uber is before you know you come home. You get to see pictures of your bedroom before you come home and enter that bedroom. Those are the pieces of the interweaving success strategies that are going to decarcerate America. And we believe that our technology is going to be the one that does that. And so I'm excited to ensure that every single day I wake up with the thought in my mind, mail every day, every single person behind those sales. Let's create another Instagram for prisons. That's an amazing initiative, man. So you launched this new initiative, right? Called Bring in the Community. Yes. And now, so now we named the Bring in the Community Flickshop School of Business, but it's the same premise. You're touching on this a bit, but what advice do you have for people in prison as they prepare to exit the system and re-enter the real world? Read as much as you can. Try to figure out ways to connect back with your family before you get there. Like if you're writing poems, let your mom know about that. If you took a GED class, Send someone that certificate. If you learned how to make chairs, share that skill set with someone so that they can help you try to land a job. The reality of it is, is that the majority of the people, the majority of us, when our brothers and our sisters and our uncles and our parents, they come home from these sales, we just naturally just assume they understand and know what's going on the moment that they come, the moment that they get there. And it's only because everyone else around us knows what a checking account is. This man, this, this John Doe that's coming home tomorrow, 
The reality is he may not have had a checking account before he left. Now, not only do you have the availability for checking accounts, but now you got online banking. It's a completely different thing. We have, I mean, we got to completely re-architect so many of these lives. If you're there inside of a sale, connect, write, talk to, and read. Those are going to be all of the recipes. Now, again, it's not going to make for, you know, the perfect cake, but I will tell you, that's the recipe to make a cake. And if you continue to fine-tune that recipe, when it pulls out of the oven, i.e. that release date, I promise you, it's going to taste nice and sweet. And so that's the focus of what you're doing with bringing the community. Yes? Yeah. So what we've done with bringing the community and Flick Shop School of Business, it was awesome that we were connecting all these hundreds of thousands of families with our technology, using these postcards and a mobile application. But while it was really cool that we were doing that, you know, it's something about, you know, the guys like me where you just can't sit still and you're like, man, like we're making a difference, but it's just not enough. What if we were able to take some of the same conversations that we were having on some of those big stages, on some of those the major podcasts like these where we're talking about what it's going to take in order to be able to succeed post-prison? What if we take that back into these facilities and say, hey, listen, this is how I did it. This was my blueprint. And not only that, but yeah. You can do it too. Then it changes things, right? Now we have something that most people in prison will never have, which is the ability to be able to touch someone that has done it successfully, that reaches out back out to them and says, hey, man, look, I'm here to help you along the way. We built that blueprint into a curriculum, and now we call it the Flick Shop School of Business. We introduced it as a bringing in the community, and now we're bringing members of the community back into those sales to not only reintroduce entrepreneurship and how you can prepare yourself to be able to come home and build a sustainable life for you and your family. But what about some of those mental health issues? What about parental issues? What about some of those things that have been plaguing you for the last six years of your incarceration and now you're getting ready to get released in three months and you have no idea how to be able to solve those kinds of problems? You lost a house. You had a foreclosure, you know, because of the incarceration. You lost a child, you know, through a child, through a custody battle because of your incarceration. You even lost a parent through death and you couldn't go to the funeral. How do you mentally prepare someone for that? And they're coming home to these empty spaces. And so that, you know, we got to do something. Which up to the business became that answer. Love it. Love it. We're about to wrap up here, but before we do, Blazing Nation loves to tap into the resources of our featured guests. So I wanted to ask you real quickly, you know, what books are you reading right now that you care to share and recommend that, you know, we maybe check out and read ourselves? Yeah. So um, what am I reading now? So right now I'm reading Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. That's a really good book. I, really, I like him a lot. I just came off of Venture Deals by Brad Field. It's a book that really explains David Brown and David Corner. It's a book that really explains what it's like, the life of an entrepreneur as a startup company and how to continue to build your business to prepare for it to be a big business. And I just got finished reading Do More Faster. So those are the three most recent books um, that I have. Outliers, Venture Deals, and Do More Faster. Nice, nice. Last question, Marcus. What's one action that we should take this week that's going to help us to blaze our own trail? I'm glad you asked the question. If we were to take an action this week, I would challenge the listeners to figure out a way to become a part of a real community. Find out a way to become a part of the community of people that are going to be ready to receive the 95% of the people that are going to come home from these prisons one day. Uh. 
On average, every year, about 750,000 people are being released from these prisons. And us, as not only as family members, need to be able to stay connected with them, but how can we continue to keep our community connected with them? We answer this question with our Flick Shop Angels mailing campaign. Flick Shop Angels, which is spelled F-L-I-K-S-H-O-P, angels.com, will allow our users to become a part of the community that helps contribute to our population of people that are coming back home to their neighborhoods in one of two ways. One way, Flickshop Angels can purchase Flickshop gift cards to be donated to the families in need, the families who can't really afford to be able to send that six-year-old picture of her daughter graduating from kindergarten to that husband that desperately needs that love connection. Or they can purchase Flickshops to be anonymously sent to someone in prison that longs for someone on this side of the fence to tell them, hey, I care about you, I support you, I want you to succeed. I believe in you. Flick Shop Angels can do that. And this is the way that our community can get involved and support a lot of these men and women that are coming home. One in six of us know someone in prison or has had a person in prison that was related, directly related, right? That's a huge part of America's population. We can change that together. And Flick Shop Angels and Flick Shop is going to be able to make sure that we're the ones who are the leaders in making that happen. Awesome, man. How can we stay connected to you? Please follow me on all of our social channels. Everything is at Flickshop. Again, Flickshop is spelled F-L-I-K-S-H-O-P. So that's Flickshop on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. You can also find out more information about Flickshop at Flickshop.com or FlickshopAngels.com. I would love for all of our listeners to be able to engage with us. I typically reply directly back to a lot of the emails and tweets that we get. And mostly because I want to, again, build this community that we all can do together. We can sustain it if we all band together. And this is our upshot. Let's make it happen. Love it. Marcus Bullock, thank you so much, my brother. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me on, man. This is awesome. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.